you don't know who to trust. And everyone's a suspect here on V'ger Please, a heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. I could go for a good desert adventure. I'm your co-host, Peter. Peter, what episode of Star Trek Enterprise did we watch this week? We're getting into Season 4, Episode 7, The Forge. Not to be confused with La Forge, which, uh... Oh, it's not a LeVar Burton. No, no, that was last Joe. week. And he did a good job. <laughs> he, he let us in. First aired November 19th, 2004. Written by Judith Reeves Stevens and Garfield Reeves Stevens. Directed by Michael Grossman. Well, at least I now know Tom Clancy's nom de plume. Sure. <laughs> 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 I... I, okay, listen, listener, I stole that joke from Peter from five minutes ago, and that's why he's laughing, because it was good, and I stole it in front of him. Yeah. All this is missing here is a uh, crewman Jack Ryan. Actually, it wouldn't be a crewman. This would be like a lieutenant or a... Yeah. Lieutenant junior grade Jack Ryan. Mm-hmm. Depends His on what book, years. right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, boy. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're uh, not fucking around, are they? No, and again, season four, what a shame that it started off with that Nazi alien fucking nonsense. Right. Why couldn't this have been the lead? Why couldn't this have just been the whole show? I mean, this is where we've been headed the whole time. This is this is the conversation I've been waiting for, Peter. That's why and I wanna... it took too long to get here. Yeah. Uh, this is a great episode. And, you know, I put that picture up on the trauma support group because it ended on a cliffhanger that I haven't felt the urge to watch the next episode that strong in a very long time. And there was, uh, you know, some stuff with like the the Eric. I'm sorry, the a Rick Sunchez. Yes, Eric Sunchez, <laughs> which is a shame that I didn't think about that until I think we were in the lower decks episode. You know, that that was good, and that kind of urged me on. This one killed me not to hit the next track. What if you know we talk about Discovery and how Discovery was supposed to be an anthology series where each season was its own crew doing its own thing? What if Enterprise was just a collection of story arcs detailing the first voyage of a starship Enterprise and, you know, arc one arc two is two years later or six months later or whatever, and just jump around a timeline and, and explore these guys. And that's really what season four feels like. Yeah. Yeah. The formula they've hit here wasn't kidding. When I said it's perfect for the show, it's perfect for the premise and boy, they had it in them all along. It just didn't have, they the right did not crea- have it in them all. Along. They didn't have they- the right creative voice directing them in this way. Like the talent was there right? Their actors were good. They just weren't being used. The writers weren't getting focused. They they didn't have what they have now. It's directors aside, all I'm seeing is new names. Exactly. New. Exactly. New. It's like, so the, the talent wasn't there. Berman, Braga, like, the production, the production talent wasn't there. I guess I was basically saying the same thing. There's so many pieces that are on the table that have been on the table for three years that aren't the ones that are really to blame for what was going on. 
And the show, I think, was been unfairly maligned as bad and attributing it to a, a particular actor or a particular uh, you know, choice in regards to the production when really it was the fact that the guys who had been doing this since the 1980s were out of fucking gas, out of fucking ideas, and they needed to get the fuck out of Dodge. And the moment that happened and some new blood swept in and took those same pieces, they started making gold in a hurry, too. Again, Manny Cotto, real shame that, you know, you and I will never have a chance to, not that, you know, we have anybody else worth it at all. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone else, even tangentially associated with these properties, you know, knocking on our door to do interviews. Uh, But I would have loved to try and get him on and be like, you know, walk me through what happened in season four, because what I'm seeing right now feels like Manny Cotto, maybe Andrea Boramis. Who knows who else we're sitting in an office and said, OK, listen, we just stole season four from UPN. They didn't want to give it to us. We successfully were able to squeeze a fourth season out at table over there. Or that cork board has all the big ideas that we wanted to do over the course of seven seasons of this. And now. We've got one more and we need to say, what are the stories that need to happen? What are the real fucking, what are the stories that we need to tell? And let's bookmark out the time to tell them the right way. So everything gets plenty of time to breathe. Plus a fucking stupid time Nazi adventure. And, and that's what it feels like here is that these guys just were like, all right, this was supposed to be uh, the season four cliffhanger. This is supposed to be the season five finale. This is supposed to be that. We're telling all those stories right now, and it's all going to come out great. What if we had to take the entire planned catalog and just only do the greatest hits? What does that look like? It looks like season four of Enterprise. It looks like that, and it also looks like going back to season one and two that you just wasted so much fucking time and opportunity telling bullshit turd stories when you could have been doing this kind of stuff. And what a fucking shame. It is. It is a shame, and... Because all of that crap is as bad as it is, this is remains the hidden diamond in the rough of the Star Trek experience. This is some shit that people just don't know about still to this day. That season four of Enterprise may be the best season Star Trek ever made. Not just season four. I mean, again, go back right into season three. Season three's got every right to spread its From wings. From Prime on, for certain. For certain. And- getting attention i would say you know we keep coming back to this what's the right place to get into enterprise and i'd say season three as a whole get a little bit of warm-up just hey here are the characters here's a little zany adventure or two or whatever minus the fucking bird people episode which even that like ridiculous premise but you still get tastes of what the characters are supposed to be you can't just go right into intense shit you need some sort of a basis to understand these characters and the characters you know, here we've just watched a amazing episode, a taut political thriller. And I still maintain, like, ultimately, compared to the other Star Trek stuff that we've watched, I don't I don't really care about these characters. I'm not sitting on the edge of my seat worried about anybody. I'm not bonding with these guys. Even Voyager, really, you know, the characters worked in my heart better. These guys are kind of cardboard cutouts, but they're telling compelling stories. I'm starting to care about them more, uh, yes. particularly to Paul. Uh, Paul has grown on me significantly through this experience in a way that she never had in my prior 
uh, enterprise journeys. Um, I just get, I'm appreciating like the subtle things that Julie Blaylock attempted to do while portraying her. Which are lost behind the shadow of her big boobs. Correct. You know, and that's, if you're watching this stuff casually and you're not spending uh, an hour dissecting scene by scene stuff, her subtle performances are going to be lost. Same as Trip. It's why nobody gives a shit about Trip when they're talking about the all-time Star Trek greats because he's, you know, emotional, low-key scenes where he's fucking killing it, but uh, it's not super exciting stuff, so it gets lost. As we're sitting here having this conversation, how you get the right people ready to tell the right it's not the right people even. I mean, Berman and Braga could have been telling these same stories if they weren't so fucking burnt out. But you just you put the right scripts into the machine, whereas the machine are people wearing spacesuits on a spaceship bridge. Right. And when you when you put the material into the machine, the output is Star Trek. And watching the change between season two to season three and then season three into season four and how good it is when you do the thing that the people want you to do. It makes me think about Picard. Of course. It makes me think about strange new world specifically where we had all the discovery and bullshit before it, where you weren't putting the right thing into the machine. There were people in spacesuits on a bridge. The machine was there, but you were pouring fucking monkey wrenches and rocks into this thing. Right. And you were getting it up as hard as you could. Clunky turd scripts. And then here comes strange new worlds. And now uh, I don't know if there's a gun to secret hideouts head or whatever, but now you put the script where they're doing space adventure and hope and interesting stuff into the machine and the byproduct was season one of Strange New Worlds was great Star Trek, right? I call it's it good, good Star Trek compared to what else we have gotten out of well, yeah. the new Trek. It's it's there were some great episodes phenomenal compared to the most of what's out there. And it just goes to show that I think if anybody really had done homework, and I understand, like, hey, we're going to do new Star Trek, you know, why go back and rewatch the old stuff? Because this is really just a, a case study on Star Trek as do the fucking thing that the crowd, the audience is there for you to do. And the output is exactly what everybody wants. Yeah. It, it's, it is a great example of how easy it can be to be this good. And we're going to have a moment of some really laughable CG. We're going to have hell caves. We're going to have budget, budget, budget. We're going to have a lot of scenes that can rely on actors doing shit right into the camera on a close-up to sell an abstract concept or an emotional conflict. That's it. That's all we're doing. It's just that 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 craft in the margins. It's not expensive, but it does take skill. Right? And we and we see that. I'm gonna tell you right now, not a single time did I ever consider what the budget was on this episode. Like I mean the I did story the was cloud, the cloud and the lightning bolts. It crept into my brain. I'm like, oh, there's there's the limitations. But, but that's it. It was only for a moment, and then we were we were past it. It was a plot device. Well, we're gonna open up this one 
with uh, those very budget caves you were just talking about. And it's a man exploring. I think we're told this is what, 17 years prior or something. Correct. The dude has uh, gone on an archaeological discovery where he has unearthed the worst that this artifact, right, which is basically sentient life's worst flashlight to explore a dark cave with. <laughs> I've seen some really bad flashlights in Star Trek. The, the lightsaber flashlight. It's a lightsaber flashlight, but only a fifth of it is exposed and lit up. And it's this like dark amber color. I don't know if they're worried about attracting like uh, mosquitoes or something. So they're using an off white. And it's dim as fuck. And this dude's just going through these smooth paper mache caves until he comes across uh, some dusty old shit and says, uh, Sirach. When we cut back, we are actually doing a push and shot of the Vulcan uh, embassy. Or I'm sorry, the Earth embassy on Vulcan. Okay, so typically we've been on Earth, been in San Francisco. We've talked about the Vulcan embassy on, on Earth. Roles are reversed. We're pushing it on the Earth Embassy on Vulcan. Vulcan City is around. It looks a little bit more futuristic. Did you catch in the background the Star Trek, I'm sorry, the Starfleet Delta, Delta. on the windows? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I was like, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that that was an Earth symbol, you know? Sure. What are we going to um, rebrand Starfleet under? I don't know. But, you know, my old apartment had the best window. And I really just, <laughs> I'd look and, at it and I'd think Adestrada Aspera or whatever. And, and uh, we are getting the personal log of Admiral Forrest. Admiral Forrest is narrating, saying he has arrived in Vulcan because he is supposed to be meeting with the Vulcan High Command about the Vulcans and Starfleet having joint missions. So this would definitely be a big deal. Uh, this would be Starfleet and, and Vulcan acting essentially as partners in space, doing missions together. Probably a lot of technology transfers so the two can work together. This would be a big step for Earth. And you must assume that this is happening. This is being considered because of Earth's major success in stopping the Delphic Expanse and the Sphere Builders, which ultimately also helped save Vulcan. So here he is to seal that deal. And he's having a nice walk and talk with uh, Saval in the embassy. Great episode for Saval. Fantastic. The complexity that this episode, you know, Vulcan stuff was already a real strong point for Enterprise because it portrays a incomplete species, right? And this yeah. is something we've come back to a few times that the Vulcans, as portrayed in Enterprise, have growing up to do, that they need the Federation as much, maybe even more so than Earth does. And what's the journey going to be to get them to this point? And that's very clearly what we're really putting under a microscope here. Uh, Sival has gone from being a real cement fuckface to someone who has, you know, stooped down so low as to actually shake Archer's hand and say, thank you. Right. This dude. Right. Uh, breaking Vulcan stigma left and right as he broadens his horizons. And and that's always a joke with Vulcans is it doesn't look like much, but in reality, if you know about Vulcan culture and this dude's, you know, assimilating or, uh, or you know, diplomatizing 
left and right here. I mean, and it, ba- it, it, if you know Vulcans, you know that Saval has changed tremendously, you know? Yeah. And uh, this opening scene with Forrest is great because it's Forrest saying, oh, hey, I'm so excited. What's the high command going to rule on this? And we already start laying the groundwork for uh, whatever you thought Suval Whatever juice you thought he had politically, he does not. And at the end of the day, he is the employee of a larger organization. He is not privy to their workings. And he does not agree with all of their decisions, however uh, well he might try to to hide that from outsiders. And he's, you know, tells uh, Forrest ultimately, like, we don't know how to handle you. You scare us and we see a lot of us in you and we don't know how to figure that out. High command doesn't know how to figure that out. It starts with a, you know, we don't understand what box you fit into, but then it goes to what actually the Vulcan's security concern or political concern might be, which is you remind us of us. And we took 1700 years to rebuild from our self-annihilation. And we had to turn ourselves into logic monks to do it. But here you are a century after yours, and you are ready to leapfrog into the unknown in a way that makes us concerned for what will happen in the century to come. And I really like uh, Forrest's snap reaction to that, which is, we are not the Klingons. You know, you're basically alluding that we will let our emotions get the better of us and that we will be warlike and conquerors and this and that. And, you know, we're that's not us. Their conversation doesn't get to get much deeper, though. Uh. <laughs> so there is what you think, I think, at the beginning is going to be a very like minor sort of like explosion on the set. There's going to be some kind of attack. Something is going on. There's a there's a very stage actory explosion in the background, and Forrest grabs Saval and and basically covers him on the ground. And then after you see this little like shitty in person explosion, they cut to the CG and like the entire they Oklahoma City the fucking building. It just like whole part of it gets blown off. All the windows get blown out, and it's apparently a big old bomb that has gone off in this embassy. We had a conversation, maybe it was on Discord, but it was uh, how many space 9-11s are there? And I had replied that each uh, franchise gets a space 9-11. But Enterprise is quickly proving that <laughs> it's the exception of the rule, and they get as many space 9-11s as Manny Cotto feels like. We were we were a traumatized nation. <laughs> In 2005, you know, it was still on. It was still on the brain, you know. That's a valid observation. Is that you know we call these things space 911s, but uh, the Zindi initial attack and this, I mean, that's right on top of real 911s. Like, yeah, it's absolutely part of the reason why they chose this kind of plot. I think actually, Oklahoma City is the origin point of a lot of the visuals of the embassy itself after specifically, Mm -hmm. but terrorism hot topic, right? So we've had terrorism. Uh, We, we go to enterprise. There is a game of basketball occurring that is notable for two things. One, 
Apparently, Flox has got a great jump shot and can't miss so much so that the rest of the crew has to keep trading him off because he's such a ringer. Anytime he has the ball in his hands, he will get it in the hoop. And second, for some reason, they did not let uh, Hoshi wear a bra. Oh, you noticed that too. It was hard not to. That mm-hmm. poor girl. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, at least right. it didn't like get blown away in the breeze or whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's a step up, but like Linda Park. Hey, can catch you know no what? Breaks. At least she's not in a cocktail dress. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, their basketball game gets interrupted by a grim looking to Paul who says that she's been contacted by Starfleet. And that's when we are cut back to the NX-01 in orbit of Vulcan. And we find out not only has there been a major bombing of the embassy, Forrest is fucking dead. <laughs> He's dead. What? What in the fuck? <laughs> Were you expecting that? Like, did that hit you hard? Like, what, what do you mean he's dead? I, you don't got the budget for some special effects makeup to put some blood down the corner of his mouth while we get a, 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 a camera shot of him laying there looking lifeless. Did, uh, let's see, who portrays Forrest? What's his name? Vaughn Armstrong. Vaughn Armstrong. Did, did he get wrapped up in some sort of early 2000s me too situation they just had to write him off super quick and pull an expanse on him i mean i think it's just they know they're getting close to the end of the show they want archer to be more in the driver's seat of what happens from this point forward so you kind of have to get rid of his boss still though man like you could have given this guy you should have died on camera you should yeah camera you should have you should have been like earn this to like saval or something like that or he could have been, you know, on his deathbed and call Archer and something feels off. Ugh, help. So I, I have a feeling, I don't know, maybe he's supposed to have follow up scenes. They're like, eh, budget constraints, just cut those scenes. That's going to have to be a good enough exit for him. So what we find out, we got 43 dead. 12 of those are Vulcans. The rest are humans. That there was a big summit that was going on. There was a lot of new people going in and out of the building and high casualties. Uh, for whatever reason, Enterprise gets sent out to investigate, which I find it silly that this is the best group of forensic experts that Earth can assemble or, you know, some bubbleheads in a space submarine that have been through trauma <laughs> after trauma. <laughs> you want somebody who's really good at suffering. I'm sure they're on that ship, but yeah. they're not probably the best CSI guys. But whatever, they're get available. Those guys that just had to watch someone get uh, infected with mega AIDS and then kicked around by augments. No, yep, send them out. So uh, when they arrive, first interesting thing that happens is that um, they are expecting, uh, I would assume, just Saval to come up to Enterprise to talk to them. But instead, when they go to the airlock, it is three Vulcans that get out and immediately to Paul is like her back straightens and she looks very worried because it's not any Vulcan who has arrived on the NX. So one, no, no, it is basically the president of all of the Vulcans administrator Velas, the head of the Vulcan high command who made a point of not telling anybody he was going up to the enterprise. Then you've got Admiral Forrest. I'm sorry. Then you've got a uh, Suval. <laughs> do not have Admiral Forrest. He is dead. Uh, listen. Uh, 
you might think he's dead, but he's just a fake mustache and a cloak <laughs> away from being the next villain. All he right? faked his death to to really embrace his his true calling of, of that's the, setting stupid stupid traps for Archer. That's the skit that we should have had to open with. Damn with, it! Uh, Admiral it. Force, Admiral Force, having a conversation with his wife, talking about how you know he's tired of Starfleet and it's really biting into his true passion of being a bad guy of the week, and that maybe you know. He should look into retiring so he can um, antagonize John Archer full time. It's it's sometimes the gold slips through our fingers, Peter. What can I yeah, say? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they get into the conference room and they start saying, "Well, we haven't investigated anything yet because technically the embassy is Earth, you know, soil. And we want you guys to, you know." <laughs> you space jocks who want you to come down here and lead the investigation while we, the most logical and best scientists in the galaxy, sit on our fucking hands. Oh, by the way, uh, leading the investigation from our end is um, this young fella here who I'm going to go ahead and call Detective Guilty. <laughs> <laughs> this dude sitting there. They might as well just put him in a fucking Romulan uniform. This guy looks shifty as fuck right off the jump. As soon as he's sitting there, I'm like, all right, well, this is the guy that's a bad guy. Like, we got a bad act. Not like he's not a bad actor, but he's like acting in bad faith, bad actor. So red alert there. This will be a good one. Their first theory that they offer is that's the Andorians. I love the racism. Yeah. And then blame the the fucking Andorians at any chance you get. When Archer doesn't buy that, they say, well, it could have been Cyrenites. And that's when we start to get what the fuck that is explained to the audience through the Vulcans who say, listen, there are some crazy Vulcans out there who take a sort of religious monk-like approach to the whole Sirach logic thing that's a little bit more ultra-Orthodox. And they can be a bit much to deal with. And the way they you know describe it, it sounds like they're they're terrorists frothing at the mouth, of course, and could be responsible for the bombing because they're against the high high command and their cooperation with humans. Quick side note: I had talked about the uh, Vulcan logic extremists last episode when we started talking about the capsule for this one. Those guys were actually from Discovery, and they had. Uh, tried to make an attempt on Spock's life or something. Um, I thought maybe they had some sort of root in whatever was going on here. Completely different. Those Vulcan logic extremists were just stupid character concepts. I really like the direction they go with the, what are they called? Syrians? Syrianites. Syrianites. Um, you know, I, I could have gone for a quick throwaway line like, oh, I don't know, maybe it's remnants of the cabal. You know, we don't know what ever happened to the rest of those fucking Suliban. Maybe it's Graz people. We've made quite the uh, list of uh, people who fucking hate us. Uh, but yeah, Andorians, which archers quick to dismiss, or these Sirenites. So they go down to begin their investigations, and we've got Reed and we've got Mayweather poking around, trying to get some data. And there's a large, a comically large piece of rubble covering some stuff up. And uh, Mayweather's like, hey, I'm getting a signature under there. I'm just going to Hulk smash and just fucking 
<laughs> just lift this giant piece of metal. And he's like, the strongest human alive. Artie, the strongest I man. I when I was a when I was a trucker, and that's why yeah. I have these coiled death serpents on my arms. I'm Mayweather, the strongest man in the world. Picks it up, and there's a bandolier full of ecto cooler. That's a high C drink from the eighties. I'm like, oh my god. So the plan here is that we're going to lock on with transporters onto Mayweather and Reed because trying to beam the bomb out might trigger it. And then Reed's going to get in close and scan this thing, which he thinks is going to trigger it. Which it does. But thankfully, instead of just being an instant explosion, they get a little timer countdown. Yeah, a little polite five seconds to evacuate. According to Memory Alpha, it's at this point that Travis Mayweather finally loses his soul. Yes. made it. Four seasons before uh, venturing into the transporter death machine and they reanimate his corpse up on uh, Enterprise. He was the one that was super excited to use it in the pilot Mm -hmm. (laughs) this long. Alas, poor Mayweather, your soul has left. Alas, poor Forrest, man. Like, it's really weighing on me. The raw deal this guy got. He survived the fucking Zindi attack only to be stabbed in the back and fucking killed on, you know, ally territory. So when they get back to Enterprise, we see that there are a couple bodies that are in uh, sick bay, which we are not really like given any information first about that was reading. I was like, all right, he's in a coma. Good. <laughs> uh, but uh, Flox is there and he walks through uh, Detective Guilty and Archer the information that they found as a consequence of uh, the investigation that Reed and Mayweather were conducting. And said, well, this bomb had Vulcan DNA on it, and this is the DNA of the person the DNA was found. And so Paul says, yeah, every single Vulcan has their DNA taken at birth, so everyone can always be identified. That's yeah, how you feel about that? Yeah. <laughs> Big Brother is definitely watching you. Mm-hmm. More than that, as we'll find out. And, you know, everyone's excited. Uh, Archer says, great. We, it's this person, Tapal, apparently. That is a Cyrenite, so that confirms that potential theory. Uh, let's go continue our investigation. And then he goes to leave the door. And that's when Detective Guilty goes, actually, you're not going to do any of that at all. You have, in fact, given me everything you were brought here to give me. <laughs> so it doesn't say that, right? Like that that's left a subtext, but he stops the conversation. He says, no, that's enough. You're not allowed to do anything else. We will take this information and continue the investigation. You will do nothing. And that's when you're meant to know, oh, this was clearly a setup. They were mm-hmm. brought here to find it. That was the intention. So that they could then give it to the Vulcans, who then could use that as causes Belli to go persecute these this group they don't like. How how interesting. What a, what a tangled weave uh, web we're weaving here. I like this. Our trends up in a cargo bay where we've got all the dead humans that were caught in the blast. They've all got the uh, half wreath United Earth logo on it. And he goes to one in the middle, which is presumably forest and uh, tries to do a little bit of silent reflection, choking back tears of regret as it was not him caught in the blast, struck about the head and neck area and whatever, you know, very jealous of whatever sweet head wounds. I'm sorry, I able to take you, you just weren't strong enough. If I had been there, I have taken the training in the deepest parts of space. <laughs> no head trauma scares me. In comes Suval. 
And up to this point, Archer's relationship with Suval has been complicated, mostly antagonistic with a few beacons of hospitality here and there, notably uh, reestablishing diplomatic relations with the Andorians uh, and Suval trying to warn Archer about the dangers of the expanse, the Delphic expanse and the, um, the, uh, event horizon hellscapes that awaited it when archer came back suval grilled him about what was the name of the the event horizon ship the Salea. the Salea, and his decisions there which archer went back to old form got super bent out of shape attacked suval and they were able by the end to like kind of fix things but archer being the big racist he always is has slipped back into anti-vulcan anti-suval mode because his friend Forrest is dead. And he knows he just got played too. Like I just got, I got, I got got whatever the hell just happened there. I do not like it. Mm-hmm. And so here comes Saval who clearly was in on it, right? Like he was there as part of the team and he's the one who said, yeah, we haven't gone down back to the uh, scene of the crime uh, since it happened. It's your territory. You have to investigate. So he knows, I don't put him he knows, he definitely knows. I think he might know that shit's fucky, but I don't think he. Oh, I think he knows that something more than just fucky has happened because that's why he went down there to talk to him because he knew at that point, like, you're I've got to take him off the leash. We have to fucking do something about this because this isn't good. You know, I think that that's the reason he's there. I don't know. Maybe you've got access to information. I don't because you've seen the subsequent episodes. But my perception of what's going on here is that. Again, he is an employee of the high command that he is not privy to their inner machinations, but he is not a fucking idiot. I mean, this is a guy who worked in security services prior to uh, entering the diplomatic corps. So he is a savvy guy. Right. Uh, I think that he sees that he has been instructed to act in bad faith on some matters and that he has watched what's happened. Because when I saw Detective Guilty storm off after they were told, no, you cannot go any deeper, that didn't immediately ring the bell as, hey, okay, uh, you read off the script we laid for you and you said the magic words so we can go persecute our political uh, enemies. But Suval certainly sees what's happening. And while I don't think he's explicitly aware he sees that shit's dirty and he gives a great talk to Archer going over Maxwell. Uh, I'm sorry, Forrest, what Forrest had wanted, uh, that he died protecting uh, and, and guilt. That's the other big part of this. He sees what's happening is bad. He sees that in the end, humans are good and they put their money where their mouth is. You know, Forrest went down, died protecting Suval because he's a guy that valued the mission and peace and all that other stuff above all else. And this dude's now same deal with like, uh, Oh, Jeffrey Combs. Oh, <clears throat> Shran Shran, right? Mm-hmm. Shran's a good guy. His boss is a piece of shit. Shran has to disobey orders to not be a piece of shit. That's what's happening. I think that's what's happening here. But basically it's like, Hey, okay. Uh, force was a good guy. Force believed in the mission. I see now humanity, you know, I've answered all my own questions that I'd posed to Forrest about what do we do with you guys from here? And basically, shit's fucked up. You need to go down there. You need to get involved. You got to be 
exactly who you are, which is a guy that ignores whatever the local authorities are making requests <laughs> of you. I, I I do like that he said, like, do not let them keep you on this ship. And the answers are down there. And whatever, whatever dirt you're about to do, I'm in. I'm in. That's the other part. It's not just, hey, you. I can't help you. It's like, you fucking go down there and I got your back. Like, Saval just went right into, like, shit got real. Super. Yeah, we're, we're, we're uh, ride or die homies now. <laughs> like Apparently. Literally, literally like... I, that's the man's corpse who saved my life. Whatever you want, it shall be done. Again, very strong parallels to Shran and, and realizing that I can either be a good soldier or I can get the tomorrow that I want and I'm willing to make the sacrifices to realize the future that we need to see here. Uh, watching this episode, I've got a lot of questions now about Vulcan behavior with prior events and whatever shame this guy might be having. They haven't called any attention to it in this episode explicitly, but seeing the way that high command acts and knowing by the end of this, that high command has a hand in bombing the embassy makes me wonder, like were the Vulcans not involved in the defense against the Zindi threat because high command secretly wanted humanity wiped out. There are so many things that you're going to get to see my friend. This whole season will be a joy for you. I'll leave it there, except to say that uh, before we close out this act, <clears throat> Koss, uh, this is to Paul's husband, comes to visit her. Uh, but we find out that the visit is really because he can't send a message without it being read. That there are some draconian security measures that are in place on Vulcan. There is no freedom of, you know, of speech. You cannot Vulcan expect your Patriot Act is strong. Yeah, Vulcan Patriot Act is 100%. And so he had to use the excuse that he's married to Paul to come up to hand deliver a gift. And it is an Eidic, which we know what that is. You and I know what that is. That's a very common Vulcan thing. But as we will find out, not at this era, apparently. This is something that Vulcans know about, but is not common a common symbol that is seen. Yeah, you Which don't is, just have uh, uh, Vulcan mobsters wearing it like gaudy jewelry. Which I think is like, the, there are hints throughout the episode, and this is one of them, of clearly the Cyrenites are the Vulcans that we know, right? Mm-hmm. They're more like the Vulcans we know, and that's going to be the story They're here. the good guys, essentially. Right. And that these kind of weird standoffish atheist Vulcans are not... <laughs> Are, are what has been wrong the whole time. And I think that's an extra layer for people like us who were clued in enough that we can catch that vibe early. And again, it's, it starts to put things into context, not only for the plot of this arc, but also everything else we've seen leading up to this and why, for example, the Vulcans chose to uh, maybe interfere with earth's technological development. Why Henry Archer wasn't allowed to develop his warp five engine on time. Like, there's been an issue here and maybe it isn't just that this was a race that needed to grow up. Maybe there's something else going on. So he uh, hands it over to, to Paul to Paul meets with Tharcher and says, you know, this is a gift for, Oh, also the big revelation is that no, she hasn't revealed yet. She goes to show this thing to Archer says, you know, I got this. Oh, it seems old. And she's like, well, actually it's been jammed full of holograms. Look at this. It's a map. This is where uh, my mother's hiding, by the way. She's a Syrianite. 
And my mother is an apparently Vulcan Al Qaeda. Yeah. <laughs> so, but gave me this map because she wants me to find her. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna have to go find her because she's been giving me shit about my um, rogue decision making. And oh, no, no, it was revealed in the scene prior because uh, her husband tells her, yeah, she's in hiding because, you know, she's under persecution. That's also why I had to come up here is because like they're six feet up my ass as well. But, you know, hey, Captain, I think this is going to be our best chance of finding these guys. We're going to do an away team down here. Put trips in charge to uh, follow up on the investigation. Uh, they had pulled DNA off of that bomb and Archer says, go back, reexamine it. Based on my conversation with Suval, maybe we missed some stuff and Archer gets on. It's not the exact same outfit he wore for Desert Crossing, but it's close enough. It's got the rain signal on his collar, which, of course, is like a, a 23rd, 24th century move, which I, I kind of liked. Um, the place where these Vulcan pilgrims are hanging out is called the Forge. It's a very dangerous area, which conveniently technology does not work at all. So no phase pistols, tricorders. Communicators, transporters, shuttlecraft, nothing. You got to beam down or, you know, get down there and go on foot. And luckily, um, the now ride or die Suval goes, hey, here's a, I don't know, sensor schedule. So, you know, the exact moment to beam these guys down where they can slip through our defenses. And apparently it is not something that uh, uh, a human would be expected to survive. So extremely harsh conditions. Fortunately, he played uh, some rugby in the desert that one time, so he's pretty well prepared. <laughs> I hate the fact he brings a ball cap as someone who's very pale and gets burned very easily. Uh, it brings me no joy wearing these fucking dad hats that, you know, I like to lie to myself I'm like, oh, it's like an Alan Grant hat. No, it's a fucking stupid dad hat. But like that wide brim keeps the sun off your neck, off the back of your neck. He's down there with a fucking ball cap on. I'm like, man, you have such a bad sunburn, dude. I hope you got some good space. That's what I need. I needed flocks to give him a tube of fucking sunblock. Yeah, here's some SPF 100 because we're on fucking mm-hmm. Vulcan. They get down there. I do like that to Paul. Uh, Professor Disco makes her triumphant return in all white leisure suit. At least it's consistent. <laughs> at least this is her, apparently the shit she wears on like and away team missions. We haven't seen Professor Disco since she kicked the shit out of some Klingons. Oh, with her uh, Vulcan Kung Fu. Yes. The West Texans. Yes. Fuck and, that. <laughs> and she talks about how, you know, she's not suffering in this environment. And be like, yeah, John, did you re- remember that my species uh, evolved on this planet? You know, we are we have special little things about, you know, our eyes and our ability to retain water that allows us to live in a fucking desert. <laughs> Did you, did you consider that maybe? Just did you bit? forget that I'm immune to everything, including bird flu? You big, dumb human. They begin their journey and uh, all the other times that Archer being stuck on a desert surface has not worked correctly. It goes pretty well for them down there. Meanwhile, back up on the ship, uh, they find an irregularity in the um, DNA sample that they had taken. And uh, they bring in. No, they haven't brought them up yet. Suval, but they go, okay. well, we need luckily. The guy, you know, based on some security footage, we see a mysterious hooded figure with a big package that looks like a bomb. It's probably him. Wouldn't you know the guy at that desk, which is actually the oh, the helm from the Prometheus, or is it the Daedalus? Would have had to have been the Prometheus. Corporal no, Ask, I think was it was... somebody we haven't we've seen before? 
Raphael Boza. No, sorry, it's the pastor. The security desk in the embassy was previously used as the helm council for the USS oh, pastor yeah, okay. from all good things. Gotcha. Wouldn't you know that guy, Ensign so-and-so, he's here, and he's the guy that's got all the head wounds and uh, is comatose. How are we going to find out what he knows? We don't need his body. We just need his mind. And they look at each other, and it seems like they've got a great idea. And the way they looked at each other, I was like, oh, man, tell me that flocks and trip of all people are about to clone slug this flu. <laughs> Seven days later, we'll have all the answers we want. <laughs> I, I So the fact that DNA is planted from the childhood record, I thought was just a great use of flocks. Uh, Flocks also is like the first of several close ups that I thought was effective. Like this, this director loves him a close up. But I think he utilized that quite well. Um, I like that Flock, the detail in Flox's makeup on his face as well as his contacts and getting that so clearly in a shot like that was very nice. I can see why he decided to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, it's planted because it comes from that source. Flox was able to suss that out. They arrive at this alternative solution, which is trying to get the memories from this guy who's literally brain damaged and probably won't live. And so there's Saval. Cut back there. It's Saval and it's Trip and it's Phlox. And it's like, so we understand that Vulcans apparently know mind magic. <laughs> like kind of a weird conversation we're about to have with you because we barely fucking understand what we're asking for. But we know from our Vulcan co-worker slash my girlfriend that you guys apparently have psychic powers. <laughs> Or at least some of you do. Psychic stuff is well established at this point. Uh, you've had the Cenobites. You've seen mind melds. We had Pop-Tart Fuckface, which had only Hoshi kept the power crystal on his desk. Maybe she could have, uh, uh, you know, telepathied it out of there. But you, if you're watching from season one, you understand what's going on here. You're taking the Vulcan with the biggest stick up his ass that we have seen. You're coming to him and saying, hey, we need you to find us someone who engages in deviant behavior, uh, which is basically akin to gay people with AIDS in the 80s in the US. Like, that's how taboo this thing we're talking about is right now. Yeah. And we need you to bring that person here to mind meld a fucking corpse. And Suval's like. No one's going to help us because a that stuff is taboo as fucking B, even if they were doing it, no one's committing political suicide to go anywhere near this thing. And they're like, well, here's the evidence we have up to this point. And this guy's got the info who can tell us who bombed this thing. And then Suval's like, right, well. I guess did what say I'm- I was right or die, right? Like I did say that. <laughs> He's like, uh, guess what? I'm actually an infernalist and I have all this magic. Like. <laughs> All that stuff I just said, uh, that special power, you know, I don't normally show people my evil magic collection until I kill them. But, uh, yeah, I've actually got all these special powers and that is such a huge moment for me to find out this guy who was former security, super rigid by the book, uh, top shelf diplomat, this dude that's given to Paul shit left and right about thrown in with the humans and he's going to sit there and reveal that he's like basically 
doing crack. Not I me, mean, not trillium D crack, but like the most taboo thing available in their society. And it kind of makes sense. Like, again, he's a security guy. That seems like a great interrogation thing, like a very strong taboo, as though it may be a very strong ability to have access to. So it's a huge contradiction to his character, but it works so well. And it's such juicy scandal. Well, we'll find out like there's so much color to just the mind meld part of this episode, because there is dialogue later that suggests that. Serac taught that all Vulcans are capable of mind melding, which, of course, we know is accurate. Right. Based on we we've looked into the future. We've seen future Star Trek. So we know it's not actually a rare ability like Trip thinks it is. No. And you go back to the Cenobite episode. All those guys were doing it. So what's the truth? Is it something that some people can do? Is it something most people can do? It's some is it something all people can do? Like this this is this is a fun piece of texture to the episode because clearly that's not information that the Enterprise crew has at all and it's not even information that Saval who's our most dependable interlocutor of Vulcan things on knows. So this is very hidden knowledge. Again, very taboo. Meanwhile down on the surface uh Archer and uh, to Paul get ambushed by a bad, bear bad creature, C- a bad CG bear cat of some kind. It's unfortunate that Archer didn't bring any sort of a, a, a regular old pistol, maybe one of those slug throwers. Yeah. Archaic just, yeah, just have one AR somewhere in the <laughs> closet somewhere. <laughs> Come on. Uh, here's the weakest shit for this episode. This fucking thing's in its natural habitat. It attacks them. Uh, Archer and T'Pol run up a fucking hill. And I'm not talking like a mountain. This is just like a gravel, a gravel hill. pit. Yeah. And this fucking creature that lives there cannot transverse the natural terrain that it has evolved in. And they're able to avoid it. And then T'Pol's like, I had one of those as a pet and whatever. But eventually it gets called off or scared off by a desert wanderer which you very quickly realize is one of these um, these pilgrims making the journey and uh, they all decide to band together and walk. He calls himself a rev, which apparently means desert wind. Uh, he is much more like a classic Vulcan looking guy. He's kind of wearing the semi archaic clothes um, and, and looks more windswept more like, you might you saw Spock maybe at the beginning of Star Trek the motion picture, you know, having gone through his his cleansing of emotions. Uh, his skin is much more like green bronzed, you know. His haircuts more sixties. He's supposed to invoke probably the image of a TOS Vulcan, in my opinion, which is of course you know what they're building towards. So just there's that visual matches with the intention. Really like this guy's portrayal. Absolutely. Very interesting. Very philosophical. Very introspective. Yeah. Uh, he suspects that uh, these guys are, that DePaul and Archer are holding back information. And eventually confronts him, hits him with some logic questions because uh, Archer had told him that DePaul was his teacher and he's just trying to learn about things. And right when they start making a connection and, uh, you know, they're about to start opening up, exposing what their agenda is. 
I like the line. Um, you know, he calls them liars. And then Archer basically calls him a liar and he goes, you know, Vulcans cannot lie. And Archer's like, well, I've worked with the high command and I can tell you that Vulcans can cheat and lie with the best of them. Yeah, he lays out very clearly, and very quickly that he is not a fan of the current political structure and considers the Vulcan high command to be not Vulcan like insufficiently correctly Vulcan. And it's definitely a religious angle. There is a pretty funny moment at the beginning of the whole desert process of going into the forge where to Paul is explaining that, you know, there's no writings that actually exist from when Sirach, the father of Vulcan logic existed to really be authoritative as to his intentions or teachings, which leads a lot of copies that were made later to sort of uh, be open to interpretation uh, to uh, what they mean. And, Archer's just starts laughing and you find this funny. And he just says, I, f- I find this familiar and that's where it's left, but it's one of the few clear references to earth religions. I think I've ever seen on star Trek of Archer reflecting on like, I've heard this story before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, who I've let me crack open some 20th century books on, a uh, on Muslims and Jews and Christians. Story to let you, uh, let you see how that worked out for us. Uh, so right as they're about to bond and, and start opening up the aforementioned worst CGI storm since fucking, uh, what was that one? Hoshi's transporter adventure. Oh, when she's stuck in six seconds. Yeah. And the storm blows over and, and they got to run away from a dust cloud that is shooting lightning out of it. And I'm sorry, an acidic dust cloud that is shooting lightning bolts. And the lightning bolts are the least threatening lightning bolts I've ever seen. They're a little like pew, pew. Whatever, they, they still get their kill. <laughs> they do. They run into their lives. They get to a, a convenient cave. They put a bunch of convenient rocks in front of the convenient cave. And now they those are Those Vulcans safe. are very strong the way they just pick those boulders. <laughs> I thought true. for a moment that might have been Travis Mayweather and they're throwing boulders about like it's made out of a... Uh, foam uh the guy ascertains correctly that archer is uh responsible for the damages to pajem i love the mileage they get out of shadow out of uh pajem the monastery he likes likes him because he is responsible right which archer wasn't sure how he was going to play out that first and said you know it's not you that destroyed pajem it was the high command that defiled pajem and turned it into you know uh a, a listening post instead of the religious shrine that it was supposed to be. Guess what? You got a, uh, you got my favor. Now I'm going to start laying some facts on you. I liked the background information that high commands initial function was just to handle Vulcan space exploration. Right. And, that and it, it mutated over time. Very natural, right? Like that there was uh, a period where, I thought this was an interesting way that they phrased it. There was a final battle against the army that wanted to follow under the Raptors wings to continue in barbarity. And then after that is how they reorganized their society and that the high command was responsible for space travel, but it just slowly took everything else over. Um, there's some deeper conversation uh, I 
I notice Archer, you know, says like, well, hey, the Vulcans think that you guys are terrorists and basically, you know, says, you know, that you're corrupt and bad or whatever. And like the dude laughs it off. Did you catch that? Yeah. Like it's actually yeah. a chuckle. A little little flash of just a tiny bit, a little bit of emotion. Yeah. I, I think, how do you feel about that? I know what happens next. So I wasn't surprised at all. Hmm. Um, starts laying down more groundwork that uh, he knows where to Paul's mom is. He's going to take him. He agrees to take him over there. Uh, and then he starts laying down more of the philosophy or religion uh, that basically their Vulcan Jesus discovered logic, uh, that there is a strong spiritual component that has been ignored, that mind melds are everybody's ability and right, you know, whether they are religious or not, that it should not be a suppressed uh, technique, and that there's a belief that basically a Vulcan can transfer their solar consciousness uh, out of their body to preserve their essence or spirit. Assuming, of course, they don't go through a transporter, right? Of course. And that's all cool because that's, you know, basically the Genesis plot line of Spock. Yeah, yeah this is this is something that we know is true, right? Like we know that what he's telling us, we've seen an example of that working in Star Trek. But even then, it was seen as kind of a long shot. Right. Like that. Yeah. You're whatever the Vulcan spirit or soul is that could be transferred is possible. But, you know, this is this is something that doesn't always happen. Right. Like this is this is a, an exceptional thing. And it is thought that Sirox Katra is somewhere. Right. And this was taken and protected and. Of course, we did see a little bit of archaeology earlier, so the pieces start to come together. Um, and that basically anybody who mind melds with someone who has encountered Sirox Katra gets the enlightenment, right? Yeah, you become uh, the you become the Buddha. Meanwhile, up on Enterprise, uh, Suval has conducted the mind meld with the uh, comatose ensign. He's able to review the footage. Uh, and wouldn't you know it, the hooded individual was no less than dun dun dun. Detective guilty. Detective guilty. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Uh, they call up the president of the high council and detective guilty. Confront him and say, hey, listen, we've got evidence that uh, it was a Vulcan within the high command that has perpetrated this. It's not these logic cult people that you're trying to push us onto to persecute unfairly. We've got hard evidence. We've got observational data. Well, let us see this. We want to, we want to counter, uh, interrogate. We want to see the tapes. Uh, well, that's not possible because he's a corpse and we used a mind meld and it was your old buddy Suval who did it. Suval fesses up and he makes the accusation and says, I saw you detective guilty. You're the bad guy. And yeah. things do not go well from there. It was interesting to me that they, that like Saval clearly is very upset about this, right? Like he is so angry over the fact that he knows that there is something really fucky going on, that he, his gambit is to purposefully provoke the president of Vulcan and the chief law enforcement officer 
in an accusation so that he could then be called to the carpet so he could see if everyone else has been compromised or not. And like, that okay, goes, clearly there's a conspiracy afoot. Now I have to force you to put me in front of everybody so I can kind of sniff it out and see what the fuck is going on. And this is what lends credence to my earlier uh, belief that he knows things are wrong, but he doesn't know the exact details. And when he gets into the the office secretary's head during that mind meld and sees Detective Guilty's face like it jolts him. Yeah, it hurts him. Yeah. So so there it all is laid out and whatever he might have thought was going on, it's way fucking worse. So they storm off. They say, uh, you know, the president's like, that's it, Suval, you're done. I'm going to revoke your position and you're going to be in like, you know, I'm going to destroy your social credit rating. <laughs> you're going to have to come in front of the high council. And Twitch, he's like, yes, good. <laughs> that is, they fuck off. And uh, I like the interaction between Trip and. Suval here where he's like, listen, man, you can't go down there. You're walking into a setup. How about you actually trust us and, you know, let us be involved and like we can find another way on this. Keep in mind, Suval and Trip go way back as far as Suval and Forrest, Suval and Archer and Suval is action grandpa, right? These guys were there at basically the inception of the warp five engine, uh, the, the test platforms and Trip certainly has no love for Suval. So this is a cool bro up moment. It is. And it is almost like Saval um, want like the way he kind of like leaves the conversation and says peace and long life. Right. Here he's like, OK, listen, like you, you, you don't think I trust humans like I did a mind meld for you, bro. <laughs> like I just did a mind meld on a brain damaged human and accused a the brain damaged director of Vulcan in front of the president of Vulcan of being Osama bin Laden. And yeah. you say, I don't trust you. Okay. A brain dead, a, a, a mind meld on a brain dead human. That's like you fucking a dead cat. Like that's a level of taboo we're talking about, right? Um, that's interesting there's like a little bit of in my opinion there was a little bit of i don't say resentment but like okay like you don't think you 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 humans sometimes they'll pick up on things i guess yes i trust i read the scene as again that like trip trying to protect suval and this being the moment where suval is like could be yeah i'm going recognizing that bro like hey you're trying to help me out i'm going all the way on this like i'm not yeah I should be dead. The human protected me and I am now dedicating my life to protecting you guys. And I'm willing to walk into the dragon's lair to, to ride this thing out and see what good I can do. It's a, it's what the Perseus moment was from the soon trilogy. We just watched only it makes sense because this guy's got the ability to actually do some good in this dangerous situation he's walking into. Meanwhile, down on the surface, uh, they thought they were safe behind these rocks they toss here, but this is the worst storm they've ever seen. Nobody's ever seen a storm this bad, and they get up to try and reinforce it, and it turns out that the name of this episode isn't The Forge, it's Shockey's Revenge. (laughs) Our good lightning bolt friend from, uh, was it Deck 15? Yeah, from Deck 12. Haunting of Deck 12. 12. Yeah. Haunting of Deck 12. It's a haunting of the uh, Vulcan desert. Shockey's pissed. They tried to block him out and he's just lashing out blindly. He zonks to Paul pretty good, but then he really gets his fangs in on Erval. And Arev 
goes. Rev, yeah, yeah. Listen, <laughs> you not knowing people's names, you're still calling Vulcan, some all Vulcan, Sumal. Vulcan Apostle, whatever. Yeah, Vulcan John the Baptist gets zapped, and <laughs> uh, he he's dying, and in his dying moments, he he slaps Archer with some 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 face touching. He is clearly done some kind of quick and dirty mind melding. And when they come to, he's dead. There's uh, his, his jacket's been kind of brought above his face and uh, he's, you know, Archer is no real worse for the wear and uh, they are going to continue their journey. And as I they like, what was it? We watched an episode and they, someone had been getting mind melded. It was uh to Paul. When she was mind melded against her will and like she was in that coma and they're like, yeah, there's like stress fractures on her face bones. Those are yeah. not enjoyable. That's not a deep tissue massage. That's a bone cracking event. <laughs> but when you're Jonathan Archer, that's you are, a, that's well, a bone. <laughs> you are well, emphasis on the bone. All right. <laughs> and, you are well fortified to head trauma. And, uh, you know, maybe he's he's so well fortified that, you know, they try to mind meld with him. And it's like, it's impenetrable. Like, all I feel is traumatic brain injury and scar tissue. What's going on? All in I here? feel There's is sleepy brain working at all. It's like, all I feel is something digging into my head. Oh, my God. He's that erect. Let me, let me move to the side here more. This is ridiculous. It's happening. Uh, I like when Archer wakes up and he's like, is the storm still going? And it's like, bitch, you see the fucking sunlight coming through these rocks behind me. <laughs> Is Shocky blindly lashing out in rage at people in here? Like, yeah, it's it's done. Archer's a different man. Uh, we know exactly what's happened, right? We watched right. it happen with Bone and Spock. He's he's got an emotional passenger. He's got a Johnny Silverhand right now, right? He sure does. They put the biochip in him. And boy, Scott Bakula's portrayal of this is great. Uh, we've got some simple callback stuff where they get out. Archer seems to know a little bit more than he should about the area. Uh, Paul tries to give him some water. He's like, I should be good for a couple days, which is a callback to her refusing his water earlier. No, you know, I'm fine. Like, no, you're not. You're a fucking human. Oh, yeah, you're right. Very clearly, this guy has two thought processes going. Um, he leads uh, Paul over to a holographic wall. They walk through a fake like it's the fucking where the Batmobile should be shooting out of here, right? They walk in there. Archer goes, just let it happen or something. Don't resist. Don't resist. <laughs> and Paul's like, what do you mean? And then suddenly a bunch of other Vulcan ne'er-do-wells come out of the shadows. One of them grabs him by the arm and she's like, ah. Uh. <laughs> and to be continued. Great. That was great such ending. a hard to be continued to get around to, man. That was a rough one. I, I wanted to go next. That's why I wanted to make sure we got through this entire episode. I can't go. Yeah, can't, we can't bring without. it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I wanted to get it all done, too. I don't think uh, I could speak highly enough of the acting in this. I think everyone turns in a good performance. Even reads one scene as somewhat tolerable as he's somewhat fatalistically, you know, talking about this bomb possibly killing them. And they wouldn't even know it. Um, right down to Archer is great. Um, as his scene with Saval amongst the coffins and the way that the, like he's in pain because he knows he's been manipulated. Saval, he's trying to like 
come to terms with. He knows he's been part of whatever has happened up to this point, but then detects relatively quickly that he is there to assist him. And they work through all of that. And it really relies on two veteran actors being able to portray, portray that energy in a way that grips you. It makes you vested in what's going to happen next, keeps you on the edge of your seat, keeps you wanting more. And that's what this episode does a great job of. Every single actor, every single scene, they really try to keep you on the edge of your seat. I really wonder what Gary Graham could have done with Riker. Yeah, that would have been a much different take. It would have been a much more veteran officer take, not a not a Bon Viant, you know? And it makes me wonder, like, what would Frakes be in the Suval capacity? And we've seen what Frakes looks like on screen. Well, I guess he's not that old. It's not that's not like director Frakes. It's that's still, you know, still middle aged Frakes. Again, I didn't feel any of the budget restraints. It's just great, compelling stuff. Great intrigue. You know, it feels vaguely undiscovered country ish in in terms of uh, what's going on here. The behavior of the Vulcans is right up there with your run of the mill Romulans. And it's a great showcase for, again, all the themes that they had laid out and things that we've discussed about Vulcan leading up to this. Uh, and some cool lines they're drawing in the sand between the the religious and the uh, rejectionists that are currently leading the government. So uh, I'm looking forward to going into season four, episode eight, which will be Awakening. And that is uh, Archer and Paul encounter the Sirenites. The radical group supposedly responsible for terrorist bombing of Vulcan. Can't wait to see her mom come out, have to eat some shit. Oh, for all so the, much. <laughs> for oh, all mom, the, you're an Al-Qaeda all along, huh? <laughs> you want to give me shit about not wanting to go through with my prearranged marriage, you fucking terrorist? Uh, written by Andre Baramis. Did, uh-oh. Roxanne Dawson. Will it get sexy? Check Y or N. <laughs> Check Y or very Y. <laughs> How much baby oil can we fit into one episode on Vulcan? I wonder. It's very hot. This it's very might dry be dry too. It's a dry heat. <laughs> this might be like her revenge for them putting her through that Malorn episode where she had to be greased up with a tank top on. God, the Malorn episode. She was that was like her showing off how much she worked out though. You know, somebody's re- showing that off because that's yeah. not her directing it. Well, still, she she did so many push-ups. And we will push up into Roxanne's yeah. directorial efforts next week. <laughs>